You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. All right, Doug and Greg, Stokes, Lanyap Podcast. Uh, today is the 14th of December. This will be released on the 20th of December. So, Christmas time. Uh, holiday season and uh, around this time of the year every year uh, every major asset manager and minor asset manager comes out with a forecast for 2023 even though um, they're always completely wrong they're entertaining to look through and then um, you can do with it what you will I wanted to spend just a few minutes Greg going through um, some of the major asset managers outlooks for 2023 uh, and then we can we can talk about them and and uh, dissect them a little bit further and then we can move on to some other topics but first first one I'll go through is uh, is BlackRock and uh, and uh, we think BlackRock does it does great work from the perspective of they have really low cost funds and ETFs they um, they their tactical moves from a portfolio management perspective specifically in 2022 have been pretty good and so they're going to try to take some of that uh, those gains for 2022 and apply them to 2023. So this is what their global outlook is. This is the executive summary for 23. Okay. Navigating markets in 2023 will require more frequent portfolio changes. I'm assuming that also means buying more BlackRock products for people that are using them. Um, we see two assessments that determine tactical portfolio outcomes. Our assessment of market risk sentiment and our view of the economic damage reflecting in, reflected in market pricing. The matrix uh, that's shown on this page shows how we plan to change our views and turn more positive as markets play out in the new regime. Few key conclusions. We are already at our most defensive stance. Other options are of turning more positive, especially on equities. We are underweight nominal long-term government bonds in each scenario in this new regime. This is our strongest conviction in any scenario. So underweight long-term government bonds, more positive on equities, and then we can we can turn positive in very different ways, either via our assessment of market risk sentiment or a view on how much damage is in the price. So uh, versus underweight or overweight um, in a risk-off environment, underweight equities, overweight credit, um, and then a risk-on environment, overweight equities, overweight short-term government bonds. But in all scenarios, they're underweight long-term bonds, which makes sense. I mean, right now, uh, the 10-year Treasury yield is, as we speak, 3.5%. The one-year Treasury yield is somewhere like 4.6%. So the yield curve is massively inverted uh, right now. And and you, know, you don't get a whole lot of bang for your buck or really negative bang for your buck for going long out in time. So uh, I, I generally agree with that underweight long-term bonds uh, assessment. How do you feel about it? I agree with it as well, too, um, unless you think that – so there's the, the, the counter-argument to that is do you think that we're going to return to a regime where we exist in a low-rate world? And in that particular case – then you would want to, even though short-term rates are longer, or pardon me, are higher than long-term rates, you would want to lock in the long-term rates even at a discount to the short-term rates. So if you have that belief that we're in a um, in a secular um, 
movement towards lower long-term rates because inflation should be lower prospectively then you would want to lock in rates on the long term but in general i think that you're right for after we've the market at one point i think the s&p 500 was down like 28 percent at one point um, in september since then it's recovered uh, and i think we're off about 15 percent or so year to date Um, so i think that if you look at history after you've had these sorts of declines, typically the markets are positive when you look at one year, three years, five years, 10 years. Um, in fact, this is from an article from, from Ben Carlson. We talked about it. It's, the article is called Getting Long-Term Bullish. Of the, of the uh, nine times since 1950 that the market has corrected 25% or more, um, only one of those instances has been negative um, if you look 12 months out from the bottom of that market. Um, so who knows where we go from here, um, but I think that if you're thinking about it just from his, a historical standpoint, you would want to be risk on, um, and that means getting short term on the uh, bond side of the equation to the extent that you have fi- fi- fixed income exposure, and then you would want to um, have a higher allocation towards equities, because presumably, if history is any guide, equities would outperform after these sorts of periods. Yeah, um, agreed, and I think... As you said, you somebody would say to us, why would you ever want to own a bond that pays you 3.5% over 10 years when you can go out to the market and buy a CD that pays you 45 or 5% over the next two years? And the reason for that is that if the Federal Reserve next year, because we're in a recession, cuts rates from 4% to zero, and your bond comes due or gets called, then you have to reinvest at the new rates in, in the environment that you're in then, and rates could be much lower. So you may be better off locking in at 3.5% at over 10 years versus taking a bet that rates will stay elevated over the next two years when a two-year Treasury or CD comes due. So um, so I get that. Uh, again, uh, it's you're better off for the next at least the next couple of years owning a, a 4% plus bond versus a 10-year Treasury. But... You can make the case that um, that locking in three and a half percent for ten straight years, if rates are going lower, would be a better move. All right, Have you heard move. this, Doug? A, a rolling bond gathers no loss. Yeah. So you can just keep. You can. So the issue when you go out far, so that you can get burnt. So let's say you rock, lock in rates at three and a half percent. If rates go up, your your the value of your bond will go will will go down because you're locked in at those higher. At those lower rates, and if rates in the marketplace are higher, then you're stuck with this old bond, um, and you can show a loss in your bond. But if you if you are more conservative and worried about rates, then you definitely want to be um, short on the spectrum and and uh, just keep rolling it out. But obviously, the risk is that, like you just mentioned, that you could get burned because if rates go back to what like rate interest rates are at, they're they've come down quite a bit. The ten year Treasury got up to like four point three percent a couple months ago. Now the ten-year treasury is at three and a half percent, but still they're still pretty close to like ten-year highs on the on the on the uh, on the treasury rates. So I think that um, from the extent to the extent that you have a long-term plan and you're comfortable locking in rates, it does. I think I, I certainly can understand that argument. I think it makes sense for sense for certain people. Yeah. All right. So uh, asset manager number one, BlackRock. Uh, getting more positive on equities and they're negative on long long government bonds all right let's move on to vanguard 
Equity markets have yet to drop materially below their fair value range. This is for U.S. equities, which they have historically done during recessions. Longer term, however, global equity outlook is improving because of lower valuations and higher interest rates. Our return expectations are 2.25 percentage points higher than last year. From a U.S. dollar investor's perspective, our global our Vanguard capital markets model projects higher 10-year annualized returns for non-U.S. developed markets, 7.2% to 9.2%, and emerging markets, 7 to 9%, than for U.S. markets, 47 to 6.7%. So Vanguard's outlook is higher interest rates have resulted in higher expected returns for bonds. I think that's a reasonable expectation. Um, right. When you uh, buy a 10-year bond at 3.5%, you know exactly what your return is going to be. Right. Uh, equity markets, I think Vanguard's been saying this for a while, but um, because equity markets are off this year, then the, what happens is in a long-term return expectation, if you get one down year, then the rest of the returns for the remaining years should be higher. So if you're 10% annualized return expectation, the first year you're down you know, 15%, then the next nine years uh, on a 10-year time horizon would be higher than 10% just to make up the difference. Uh, they think U.S. markets will be basically 5 to 7% per year. International markets that are not emerging, 7 to 9%. Emerging, emerging markets, 7 to 9%. Who knows on that one? We've talked extensively about the difference in return for U.S. and international markets, uh, and the U.S. markets have consistently, these asset managers have come out and said international is going to outperform U.S. We, I think that's been like the case for the last 10 years. It's been predictions for that. Hasn't happened. Uh, so we'll see. Eventually, they're going to be right, but this is something that's been the case year in and year out for Vanguard and, and hasn't come to fruition yet. It seems like, so since the... Uh, since the markets have recovered somewhat, like I mentioned, the S&P 500 is, uh, is about 15% down year to date versus at one point it was down 28%. It seems like a lot of what you would qualify or classify as riskier assets um, have come back and returned a little bit uh, as well too. Um, specifically for on the international side of the equation, at one point the euro was trading at like 9.96 euros to a dollar, which was like 20 plus year lows. The euro is now 1.06 um, to the dollar. Same thing with the higher. Right, exactly. It's like 10% higher. You could conceivably see like, just like the returns have been so poor um, in equities in the European space and international space, that eventually things re revert back to the mean. It's the same sort of argument that you have on the U.S. side of the equation as well, too, from a prospective return standpoint, when you take into account the fact that markets are so far off this year. Um, but you're right. Eventually, it's got to happen. Um, and, and just because it hasn't happened in the last 10 years probably increases the probability of that happening sooner rather than I can't believe it didn't happen this year and and in retrospect it seems like it should have happened because really what carried the market the last decade were these big mega cap technology companies the apples googles amazons microsofts of the world those and they're generally those are nasdaq type companies the nasdaq um, at some at one point this year was off almost 40 percent mm -hmm. um, and so if there was a year and it, the international component the reason 
really part of the reason why international has underperformed the last 10 years is just because of the makeup of the international index is, is more old economy, you know, banks, mineral, uh, materials companies, um, insurance companies, et cetera. Car companies, uh, yeah. Toyota, and so, BMW, et cetera. Yeah, or like the Nestle's of the way. So you would, in a, in a, in a period, in a bull market period, and where technology is really running away, the S&P 500 should outperform uh, international markets in that particular case. But this year, uh, you would, with it, the whole thing should have reversed. It hasn't really happened. I don't know what the uh, IEF, uh, what's the international index off this year? Greg, do you have it off the top of your head? No, I don't have it off the top of my head. All right, let me look this up. And the S&P year-to-date return uh, iShares Core MSCI EFA Index, which is everything but emerging markets and the international world's down, uh, down fourteen point two seven. So basically the same thing as the S P five hundred. Right. So it's crazy that uh, S P five hundred is so technology focused in a year where we're in a technology technology bear market is still uh, holding up compared to international. Pretty crazy. All right. Um, so uh, I would say Vanguard. Bond returns are going to be higher because interest rates are higher. That's uh, that seems like a no-brainer to me, and uh, and international is going to outperform uh, the U.S. markets, and that remains to be seen. They've been saying that every year. Uh, all right, last one, and then we'll move on to another topic. This is J.P. Morgan. Uh, this is Marco Kolonovich, who is the chief global market strategist and co-head of global research at J.P. Morgan, uh, which is probably a useless job, but. Um, Anyway, these forecasters really, uh, they earn their money. All right, there's good and bad news for equity markets and more broadly risky asset classes in 2023. The good news is that central banks will likely be forced to pivot and signal cutting interest rates sometime next year. I think they, um, they've started down that path already, but um, which should result in sustained recovery of asset prices and subsequently the economy subsequently the economy by end of 2023. The bad news is that in order for that pivot to happen, we will need to see a combination of more economic weakness, an increase in unemployment, market volatility, decline in levels of risky assets, and a fall in inflation. All of these are likely to cause or coincide with downside risk in the near term. Stock market outlook. In the first half of 2023, we expect the S&P 500 to retest the lows of 2022 as the Fed over tightens into weaker fundamentals. This sell-off combined with disinflation, rising unemployment and declining corporate sentiment should be enough for the, here's our first target, for the enough for the Fed to start signaling a pivot, pushing the S&P 500 to 4,200 by year end. So more volatility next year, uh, but ending up positive. Right now, we're at 4,046 on the S&P 500. So uh, retesting the lows and then bouncing to that's that's a lot of volatility there. So, yeah, so hopefully, so it just depends on uh, what your your narrative uh, is. <laughs> right. You can, you can, they're, you can, they're trying to hit everybody here with uh, right, yeah, so to appeal to everybody. If you're very bullish, you can, you can agree with BlackRock or you're bearish, you can side with JP Morgan. Well, not only that, J.P. Morgan is doing a really smart job of saying we're also we're bearish and bullish at the same time. We're bearish because we're going to retest the lows in September, but we're bullish because we're going to be forty-two. We're going to be up five uh, percent uh, next year. Uh, so, and, uh, so here's anyway. the whole point with all this stuff: is 
the the short term is absolutely unknowable, and so is the long term. But to the to the extent that you're trying to formulate a long term investment strategy, you almost have to ignore these sort of prog- prognostic type of situations and look at reasonable assumptions and make your your investment strategy and build your investment strategy around those assumptions um, because you have brilliant people on re- representing the, the the largest asset man- manager in the world in BlackRock, the second largest asset manager in the world in Vanguard and the largest bank or the second largest bank in the United States in JP Morgan and they each came up with completely different conclusions. Um, I I think that um, if I had to look at, if you look at just like it, like if you just look at history, that's what my sort of um, base case is. And history tells us that most of the time after these sorts of declines, there's a recovery, but you have to sometimes be really patient for that. And that's really what that Ben Carlson piece mentioned. Um, but anything could happen. Uh, obviously, there's if if somebody told me, I think there was a book somebody wrote. I, I read about this that that the predictions for 2022, and it was published in January, and and there was Russia invading Ukraine wasn't even in that piece. So there's probably going to be something that we're not we're talking about completely different at this time in hindsight. On yeah, we're not even talking. We're not even talking about Russia and Ukraine anymore, and and the price of oil is lower now than it was uh, before the invasion. Um, right, it's insane. It's, it is insane. And nobody would have made that prediction upon, you know, when, when oil went to $120 a bill in uh, March of last year, immediately after the, the Or when it went to negative $35 a barrel yeah. in March of 2020. Right. Uh, you're right. We're going to be talking about something different. I, I, I do. I, so here's my, here's my reading BlackRock, Vanguard, and uh, JP Morgan, all different views. My takeaway is this: I, I I do expect volatility to persist. I think um, that's that I, was uh, J.P. Morgan's famous uh, statement when he asked somebody asked him. Uh, J, this is J.P. Morgan Piedmont, yeah, or P, the actual, whatever the guy, the actual guy. He said that what, what somebody asked him, "What will the markets do next year?" And he said, "They will fluctuate." Right, <laughs> um, and I and I think that that well, I think it's a reasonable expectation when. Uh, when you have high inflation, but it's coming down, the question we talked about this over the summer. Um, you know, our our view of this was, you know, longer and persistent inflation was not really our base. Our base was either a a slowing down to a two percent or an overshoot to a sort of a, di- a disinflation to deflation type scenario. We're seeing that with. Um, November and October's inflation numbers are coming down dramatically. The only thing that's really holding uh, inflation numbers up at this point is is shelter inflation that came in at 0.7% month over month. Um, so annualized rate much higher. You know, that's what is that like a 10% annualized rate or something like that. Um, so I, I think that uh, I think that that and I think that that number is overstated because it, how do you how do you really judge rent on a month to month basis when when rental rates are long term leases you know a year or two years or whatever so um, so my expectation is inflation coming down and you know what does the Federal Reserve do to um, to land that plane is it is it going to is it crash and burn or is it a soft landing and so we'll see what happens next year and and so it's either a lot of volatility or you know less than a lot of volatility in, 
in equity markets. And then on the bond side, we've talked about this in the past before, before too. The way that I look at bonds is from the perspective of long-term planning, if you've got a rate of return requirement that you're trying to hit of like four, five, or six percent, and you can lock in rates at four percent in bonds, your your opportunity to outperform your long-term assumptions from a cash flow perspective, what do you need to return to meet all of your spending objectives, becomes a lot easier when interest rates are higher. And so view that as a positive. No, don't view rising interest rates as a negative. What, what the news media will have you think about it is I can lock in something that makes me not take as much risk in my portfolio than I had to take a year ago. So, Doug, looking at your crystal ball, what does twenty? This is a this is a pure crystal ball standpoint. What does twenty twenty three hold? The we still haven't seen. So far, housing prices really they've they've. We're, I've talked to people locally. There's definitely a slowdown in the the market here, but in certain places, it doesn't seem really to have hit like in Texas or Florida as hard. I know it's hitting in California. Anyway, what do you what's your pro- prognosis for? 2023 with the with the uh, caveat that it's it's unknowable um, but what's what are the sort of knockoff effects inflation seems to be coming down um, what do you think is going to happen next year I think we're going to have a recession next year um, I think a lot of the interest rate policy from the Federal Reserve is has a lagging effect and a higher cost of capital for businesses um, is going to result and you know, layoffs are just starting to happen. So I would expect 2023 to be a recession year. I would expect diversification to work again next year. So if we have higher volatility in stocks, then bonds should do their job. And they didn't do their job this year because higher interest rates caused bond prices to fall when stock prices fell. And so my expectation is higher volatility in stocks bonds to do their job and there to be a recession. So real estate should probably have another, another down year. Real estate's only had like in the last 30 years, there's only been like three periods where real estate was negative. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that, if we have our fourth, uh, this go around. Um, but at, at, at the, the on a pop from a positive standpoint, as interest rates have come down on bonds, Treasury's down from 4.3% to 3.5% over the last few months. Mortgage rates have come down as well, too. And that's certainly necessary from a sustainability of the housing market standpoint, because at 7 plus percent, it gets really unaffordable for people to buy places. So I agree. I think the housing market, I guess that's sort of like a sort of tail risk type of situation, um, given that, that that drives, that's the biggest sector of the economy. And it's certainly been affected by what's happening and there's potential that it is affected even more. Um, but again, if you look at this through the, the, the long term, I think that that stuff tends to wash out um, through the lens of a long term investor. Um, but I, I don't I don't know. I don't know if we get a recession in 2023. I, I st- it still surprises me how much consumer activity there's been. Um, planes, restaurants, bars, football games, etc. are all full. Um, you need to hire you need to hire an unemployment rate for that to start exactly yeah. but you you are certainly seeing the prices of commodities go down like you mentioned the price of oil's down uh, so those things are indicative of more of a, a slowdown in the in the global economy whether or not we get a recession i i'm gonna i'm in the camp that 
if the Fed can navigate the um, interest rate increases, and they actually have an announcement coming out today in a couple hours, then um, then we could potentially avoid a, a significant recession, and maybe we, we have a sort of quote-unquote soft landing. I tend to be an optimist, though, um, and I've been proven wrong many times, so we'll have to be have to see. Yeah. Um, look, I, I, housing, even at a 6.5% mortgage rate, which is the national average now, it's definitely better than 7%, but I, I just don't see, uh, housing just got so hot in 2020 and 2021 uh, because interest rates were basically, what, 2% was your your 30-year mortgage rate. Um, I think what you're seeing is just low inventory and not a lot of transactions. And the good news is that people refied and fixed interest rates for a long period of time during that period of 2020 and 2021. And so there's no real forced selling that's occurring because of balloon payments and things like that or, or adjustable rate mortgages. Um, so that's a, that's a positive. But There are definitely more houses on the market, though. If you just look around yeah. and on realtor.com on, and type in your zip code, there's for there, the inventory problem seems to be fixing itself to a degree. But again, you're not seeing the, this, the real big price cuts, at least we're, we're in our zip code or whatever that that you're saying in California. But of course, the prices in our zip code didn't really pop up like they did in some of these places in California, for example. For so good reason. Right, right. For good reason. <laughs> right. The, the, uh, the, uh, the livability in the Bay Area or in San Diego right. or whatever is a little little bit higher than in uh, New Orleans, I guess. You right. could argue. <laughs> yeah, I think um, you know, there's what, what the great thing about uh, a forecaster's job is that there's always so much uncertainty going on in the world that you can stoke fear for one reason or another. It seems like and it, it also seems like every year there's like a there's a certain level of uncertainty that exists that has never existed before. It's like that recency bias that um, makes you fearful of taking any action on from an investment perspective because so many things could go wrong. It happens every single year. Um, it just makes it every year they make it seem like um, this is so unique that we're in such a risk environment. Um, that's why you got to plan. That's why you got to have a, 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 a long term game plan investment wise. Take your risks with money that you can afford to lose and, and develop an investment strategy over a period of time longer than 2023. So I'll, I'll tell you what. So, in, and this is probably our last interpersonal inner discussion. Uh, podcast that we're going to publish this year. It's going to be published on December twenty first or or twenty second or something like that. What so what when when looking back at this particular year, it, does it is it just recency bias or does it seem to be that this was a or maybe that this is we're in a period of time where things this year was pretty damn crazy. I it, <laughs> I yeah I don't think there. I think there's not recency bias. That, there's no, yeah. no, but like now, but what you're saying is in hindsight though, we had in hindsight, this was be, this is supposed to be the roaring twenties. This was be massive economic growth is. Yeah. So I don't think there was any sort of any, when we were doing that, if we were to do this podcast in December of 2021, the, the news back then was, um, you know, we're bigger and better things. We're coming out of COVID. We've got the vaccines. We're moving on. Right. We were talking here, about, uh, Omicron or whatever the hell that was yeah. at the end of the, in the first couple podcasts and right. that, that we started recording in February. So, um, so I don't think we, there was that, I don't think it was a whole, I think it was like, um, 
you know, all the strategists were, were talking about how that we're having this major rebound effect in the economy because of shutdowns from COVID. Um, now people are triggered, uh, they're, they're uh, scared to pull the trigger on anything just because uh, 2022 has been such a whirlwind. I, this has been the craziest year since I've been in the business. But um, yeah. I think that the, the there's a lot of crazy things that happen, obviously. In our, in our business, the, the bond yield situation has been, that's been unprecedented in terms of the, we have, when we try to explain people the variability of returns of any sort of asset class, bonds typically are fit within a range. This has been off the charts in terms of this year. So there's all, there's all kinds of things um, that, that you plan on and that you use history as a guide. And there's, there's years that are unprecedented and this was an unprecedented year and, and those charts are going to need to be revised. Um, that particular piece was was a uh, important factor in terms of that. In terms of the year being crazy, um, but like like you said, there's positives that come out of it because now you can you can get returns on a balanced account that you might not have been able to to get otherwise because the bond portion was earning basically nothing. So interesting times uh, this year. Hopefully, uh, 2023 is a little bit less interesting. Um, right, and. <laughs> As uh, 2021, in hindsight, I mean, they're all the last basically since I feel like since COVID, it's been one of the it's been nonstop uh, in terms of craziness. And so I think everybody's in, in uh, everybody deserves a little bit of a break. Um, but I'll tell you what, I've got some some things I'm hoping for in 2022, end of 2022 and, and 2023. And and uh, personally, we've got TCU playing uh, in the college football semifinal. So hopefully we can. Yeah, you're going, aren't you? I'm going uh, against Michigan. Uh, it's p- possibly the best college football year of my life with TCU in the college football semifinal and Tulane in the Cotton Bowl. As a Tulane and TCU fan, you really can't ask for anything better. So I'm excited about that, um, and uh, and we'll see how things go. Go frogs and roll wave. All right, everybody, have a great uh, Christmas holiday and and. Uh, and have fun with your families at home and uh, we'll catch you up uh, in the new year. We're going to have a guest next week. So uh, Greg and I will be back one-on-one starting January. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.